Hello. Hello, how we doing? Hey, we are doing great. I'll answer on your behalf too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose if you, the options are answer on my behalf or your family's behalf, you, you know, you had choices there and it says something that that's the choice you made. Well, it says we're doing the podcast. You asked how we are doing. So we are doing great. All right. All right. Uh, this half of we is just finishing up this semester as we record and it feels really good to be finishing up. It's been a long semester, but a good one. So how is the other half of we? I am doing pretty good. I just got out of a training session on how to do lighting for video recording, do a lot of video and media stuff at my job at the church. And that wasn't really the thing that I was hired for, nor is it my native skill set. So it's nice to be able to level up in that area. And and now you've laid the groundwork for On the Phone with Josh, the musical. Oh, yes. You can be uh, the lighting director. Oh, yeah, I could. This brings me to the reason why I'm calling. Okay. You know, we have done two full quarters, six months worth of On the Phone with Josh episodes. And so uh, I want to just pause and look back. One of the things that we did when we were setting out to do this is we said we wanted to add more seats to the table. Yeah. Right? Like we're having these great conversations and we, we want more people to be involved in these conversations. And so we told ourselves every quarter we, we were going to pause and look at some of the feedback we've gotten, whether in personal moments or in social media or any of those things. And so I want to do that today. I want to talk about some of the things that uh, we've heard back from people. And one of those things is actually the upcoming debut of the On the Phone with Josh musical. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. <laughs> yeah. So that was a comment that my wife left on our social media after, I think it was like the second episode in a row where we had done a lot of singing. <laughs> and she's very convinced that there needs to be an On the Phone with Josh musical edition, which that would be pretty stellar. I think we might sell one ticket to that show. And that person would probably just be buying it ironically. Um, <laughs> right. You know, but, but I do want to know, let's say this musical got turned into a movie. Who is playing you? Oh, man. You know, that would require me to know actors' names. And I am terrible about that. But whoever the guy is that played Napoleon Dynamite. I just want him to play me. That would be awesome. Oh, that's awesome. See, you went much more honest. Oh, um, ouch. Thanks. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is not quite what I meant. Um, Jeez. All right. <laughs> podcast over. It's been, a, it's been a good half a year. That is not quite what I meant. I, 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 
am not sure how to dig myself out of this, except to say that my first thought was, you know who I want to have play me? I want Will Smith to play me. Because um, he's just awesome. <laughs> he is um, awesome. Yeah, which is not realistic at all. No, on so many levels. I am one one hundredth the amount of coolness, despite all of the chaos about him hitting that guy at the awards yeah. ceremony. So hopefully I'm not stirring up angst by even referring to him. But uh, I suspect the only reason I even am thinking of him is because we have recently been re-watching Men in Black. How bizarre is that? Shelley and I watched the first two Men in Blacks like within the last month, and I never watch movies. And yet, here we are. We've like actually watched this. I had no idea you guys were doing the same. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, we never watch movies either. My attention span is approximately 44 minutes at max. And uh, so movies don't normally make it. But anyway, tell me some of the other pieces of feedback that you think of as highlights that we've gotten over the last couple of months. Yeah. So quite honestly, one of the biggest highlights from this quarter was our transactional relationships episode. I felt like that drove conversation both deep and wide. And deep Mm. in that, a number of people, including your wife particularly, commented a lot on Facebook about that. And so she and a number of other people made some fantastic comments and and really drove the conversation forward in a lot of cool ways, which I'd love to touch back on. But then it also went pretty wide. I think we got a lot of new listeners out of that. We got a lot of traction outside of our normal listening community on that. And it was really fun to see so many people engaging with that episode. Yeah, I was really intrigued that that struck a chord as well. That particular episode, I believe, came about because that phrase, transactional relationships, really struck a chord with me personally. And I said to you, hey, can we talk about this? And apparently, I am not the only one. (laughs) Right. So... You know, so much of what was commented online, I thought, drove the conversation forward really well. And one of our listeners, Casey, really talked a lot about boundaries, which I thought was an exceptional insight. We didn't really talk about boundaries around transactional relationships. And it feels as though boundaries is a way to kind of protect oneself from the harm that can possibly come from somebody that wants to interact with you only in a transactional way. And so you have to build boundaries around that. And I thought that was a really great addition to the conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. The thing, you know, you talked about driving the conversation forward and we kept the conversation for the most part in the what do these ideas mean? Let's just flesh out the, let's drive some stakes in the ground and say, this is the topic and let's describe that topic. Casey's comments, I think, really opened the the conversation up to a very practical and valuable question of, okay, when you're in a relationship with someone who is being far more transactional than the reverse, 
what do you do in that moment? We really kind of emphasized in the episode, if we are talking to somebody who's a store clerk and they're being transactional, that's fine. That's their job. But there are plenty of spaces in our lives where transactional can be harmful. You used that phrase, and I think that's a, a good way to frame this. If one person is being transactional, it can be harmful to the other. And what do you do in that situation, I think was a really, I don't know that Casey came right out and said that, but I think that was the underlying question that I got out of it that I thought was really powerful. It is. And I think it's such a really interesting question in our society because, you know, the buzzword around this is cancel culture. And I think both sides of the political aisle use this as a pejorative term against the other. But it's still endemic of our society that if we don't like you, we cut you off. Whether that's unfriending somebody on Facebook, whether that's just stonewalling them or cutting them off. And I do think that a truly toxic person does need to be shut out. But I think we are too quick to pull that trigger in most situations. And I remember there was a there was a situation years and years ago where I wanted to cut somebody out of my life for a time. And I say for a time only because of you, really. You said, yeah, you can you can deliver that message. But theologically, spiritually, you should not deliver that message until you are absolutely willing to seek reconciliation at some point if the health of the situation warrants it. And I was so appreciative that you told me that because I did deliver that message. We did cut off communication for a long time. The health of the situation improved substantially, and I re-engaged with that person and have a relationship with them to this day. That is a different yeah. thing than... So yes, it's a boundary, but it's not a cancel culture boundary, and I'm sorry to even use that phrase. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You know, and as I look at this in my personal life, and I, I'm not... I am genuinely looking in the mirror with my next comment, not looking outwards. What drives me to be very black and white about people, either they're healthy for me or I need to reject them, is quite honestly my own insecurities. Mm. For me, it is, this sounds so jargony, but... I don't always have the ego strength to feel comfortable letting them be them and me be me. Or in Steve Cuss's language, hearkening back to our uh, managing leadership anxiety, in his language, the, the experience of differentiation between them and me is emotionally complicated for me. And so rather than deal with that emotional complicatedness, I just want to push them out of the picture completely. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And I think, especially as our society becomes less and less relationally adept, right? We, we've we mm. got too many things that pull us away from deep relationships. 
I think that anxiety is only going to increase. And absolutely, how we deal with that and how we push through that is going to be key for our own personal development, but I think it's going to be key for how we progress as a society. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. How are we going to tolerate? Because it does cause anxiety and discomfort in me to be in the presence of or in relationship with somebody who is more transactional. As one of one example, it causes anxiety and discomfort and tension as I simply have to stand my ground. Uh, honestly, in a very non-militaristic sense, I have to just comfortably and peaceably be me and that's okay. Yeah. Without any affirmation from the outside, without any, without any anything. I just got to be me. Yeah. And whenever possible, I think also having a healthy conversation with that other person is appropriate. Mm. Uncomfortable, but un- often appropriate. I wouldn't say always appropriate. And that's where I like some of the questions that your wife posted on here. We've introduced her on the podcast. She's been on the podcast. Let me use her proper name, Kristen. I really appreciate what Kristen had to say. She posted a number of questions that I think were clarifying for someone to ask in the relationship, either to ask rhetorically to evaluate the situation, or I think even at times to use those questions as springboards for a conversation with the other person. And one of those questions in particular was, your agenda or me? What's the priority here? If you had to choose one, what would you choose? And if I could not fulfill your agenda, am I still enough? And I think those are good clarifying questions, whether you ask them rhetorically, like I said, or whether you have a situation in which you can actually ask that of somebody and really clarify the situation at hand and therefore move forward intelligently with the right answer. Yeah, that idea of your agenda or me is so, I think you're right. Clarifying is exactly the right word. It's very, very clarifying. And I think, again, it gives me a diagnostic that I can run in my mind when I'm trying to figure out what, where is the person I'm dealing with at? Are they thinking about me or are they thinking about their agenda? Which one takes priority? That is a very informative question to ask. And I think it's very clarifying depending on the relationship, right? If this was a parent-child relationship and the answer is, no, my agenda is all that matters. And if you can't fulfill my agenda, then you don't matter. Okay. That has a different effect than if this was your boss and your boss just says, no, all I want from you is the work we're paying you to do. That's it maybe you can live with that a little bit better. I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But the relationship is different enough that you could it could be an open question for you personally. Can I work under those yeah. conditions? Though I do think it's very interesting as I read, you know, I read leadership books plural every single year. And virtually every leadership book that I've ever read says in some way, shape, or form, a purely transactional boss will not get the most out of his employees. Mm. 
by no means is that a an effective management strategy, even if it is technically and ethically appropriate one. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, when, when I feel like I'm a cog in the wheel, you're not going to get my best work. Yeah. When I feel known and valued, even when it costs the organization, uh, that's a different story. Yeah. But you're exactly right. Can, can I switch gears for a second? Because I was, I don't know what we said that made me think of this, but there was another comment that has nothing to do with transactional leadership okay. that just made me smile. <laughs> All right. And I just wanted to acknowledge one of our listeners commented on Facebook when we were talking about gratitude. Oh, now I know exactly what made me think of it. Andy said to both of us when we posted the Witch Josh question, uh, who dog ears their pages? And the answer was neither of us. It's a horrible, vile sin. Uh, <laughs> Andy posted, for Christmas, you're each getting a dog-eared copy of The Pilgrim's Progress with every instance of the word the highlighted in pink. <laughs> and I just have to tell you, um, this is my absolute favorite comment we've gotten bar none across the board so far since we started this thing because it was successfully both wildly funny but the thing that made me think of it is i talked about transactional versus feeling known in a given moment despite the fact that he was being silly what made that so funny is that i felt so i felt like he got me <laughs> enough to make exactly the right joke. And so, first of all, props to him. But second of all, I laughed so hard uh, <laughs> and have referred back to that one comment more times than I can count. Oh, my gosh. It was. It was so funny and so pointed, pointedly funny. It was, I, I think yeah. I even commented back something like, that is the most thoughtful white elephant gift ever. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I think that is what you said. I, but you talk about funny comments and feeling seen amidst the ribbing. And that is exactly how I felt when Kristen, your wife, who has a first name, her name is Kristen. And who comments a lot on social media, for right. which we are deeply grateful. Absolutely. Way to, way, way to bolster your husband and his best friend's self-esteem. Thank you. Yeah, right, exactly. Yes, thank you. But she put together a whole spot the seminary nerd bingo in response to one of our episodes. And oh my gosh, again, I felt incredibly called out and seen and known. And uh, I mean, things like does not believe they've talked about theological topics before, despite that being their primary topic. Or has very nuanced and separate categories for theological books. I mean, everything that she put on here describes one or both of us so, so well. <laughs> like, responds, ooh, when friend brings up the Trinity. I mean, these are oh, just so great. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you've said this one or not, but uh, one of my favorite on there was, has theological neighbors. <laughs> um, yes. I didn't even think about the fact that that was a phrase that only a limited number of people are ever going to use. <laughs> right. Although I hope we popularize it. Uh, well, 
And speaking of popularize, the the fact that uses the word divin because they constantly dive into deep topics and need a good past tense option. Come on, everybody. Add divin in the sense of has divin into into your vocabulary, please. We uh, can make that a real word. <laughs> we'll publish our own dictionary. It'll be our own claim to fame. Yes. Right after the musical comes out. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. That is perfect. Yeah, that bingo was so funny. I think my family just watched me read every little square in that and laugh hysterically. I was sitting on a very secure couch and still managed to nearly fall off the thing. Uh, it was hilarious. That's awesome. But So other than my wife, who else has made comments that have uh, been memorable for you? Yeah, that's true. I am highlighting Kristen quite a bit here. Um, I'm going to move on. Yeah, I think our our social media episode was really interesting. My friend Jessica replied quite extensively because social media is something she's super passionate about, at least from the church's angle. So how can we use social media as a vehicle for connecting with people from the church's perspective. And so not just something we use for announcements, not just something we put minimal effort into, but a legit ministry of the church to use social media intentionally, carefully. Uh, She is a graphic designer and very, very, very talented at it, does a great job of creating media content and wants to see that gifting be utilized in that arena as an intentional ministry of the church. And I think that's a brilliant use of social media. Yeah. I, I have to confess, Jessica, if you are watching this, you recommended that we watch a documentary called The Social Dilemma. And it is on my must-watch list. I have not forgotten, but I have not watched it yet. But one of the things that Jessica said is that the church gets just a few hours where they're with people in person, but there are hundreds of other hours in the week, and we can engage people via social media those other hundred-some-odd hours. And so it's a really valuable tool, not just for like posting announcements and things, but encouraging conversation, encouraging discussion. And the shift I, I feel like she was challenging was, for the church to shift from informing to engaging people with the way that they use social media. Though she didn't say that exactly, I don't think, so hopefully I'm not misquoting her. But I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. And I would love to think more deeply about that. I don't lead a church or a church social media ministry so I'm probably not the right guy to think that through entirely, but man, it's such a great pivot that I think the church probably needs to make. I just don't know how exactly. Well, and I will say in our own church, in, in the church where I work, we have found even on the simple level of promoting, people show up to church because of what they see on social media on a regular basis. Mm. And so social media has become the porch of our church, if Mm. that makes sense. Yeah. 
and we are constantly getting people through that medium. And, and I'll tell you what, though, but if it, and I don't mean this about our church in particular, I just mean, so social media is not my favorite thing. If it engaged in conversation the way that Jessica was challenging us to think about social media, I would probably enjoy social media more. Well, I have to say that that's true of our own podcast. When people engage the content and have a great discussion online, like we're talking about here, that is really interesting to me. Or whether our podcast or our posts are a springboard for having these conversations outside of social media mm-hmm. uh, is also fantastic to me. But it's like you said, it's the word engagement that energizes me. It's not just social media for its own sake. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, she mentioned people like Carrie Newhoff and Nora Jones and Brady Shear. I'm curious to see, as a matter of fact, I think it's Nora Jones that literally wrote a book on this, but I'm curious to think more about what does it take to post in a way that inspires that, not just from a church perspective, but even from the perspective of our podcast. I'm intrigued to think about more what does it take to foster that. Uh, (laughs) One of the big challenges that leaders have to deal with is it's so easy to say, you know, people just won't post on my stuff. When what I need to ask is what can I do to make my posts more engaging so people want to post on my stuff? I can either point the finger outwards or I can point the finger back at me but only one of those can I actually change. So I might as well, even if I'm only 10% of the problem, I'd rather change my 10% than complain about the other 90%. Well, and I think that sometimes there are factors outside of the leader's control that dictates whether or not somebody is likely to post. Like, For instance, we noticed on our own podcast that both our listening numbers and our social media engagement numbers went down significantly over the holidays. And either that means like we really upset some people about by talking about Advent or there's (laughs) something else at play, whether that is people didn't want to think about Advent in the way that we were suggesting or what I think is more likely because everybody wants to think like us, but What is more likely is that people are just plain busy and their routines have changed because it's the holidays and everybody's routines are all up in in chaos. And so nobody's doing what they normally do at the time that they normally do it. And so I think even if you were to develop the greatest content, some of those natural rhythms of life are still going to affect the final result. Yeah, I have wondered... To what degree both of these things are true? You know, I have wondered on the one side, to what degree are we influenced just by the seasonal busyness that people experience, as well as the seasonal overstimulation, Hmm. right? It's not just busyness, it's energy depletion. I don't want another thing in my life right now. Yeah. But I was watching recently Good Mythical Morning, which is a YouTube channel uh, where two guys do goofy things. And isn't that every they are, YouTube channel? 
I I think probably, but they do goofy things better than everybody else. So they are one of the more longstanding, more successful YouTube channels out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're not Mr. Beast, but they are incredibly successful in in the YouTube space. Right. Have you seen their Thanksgiving episode? No. So their most recent Thanksgiving episode, it starts off with them talking about their past Thanksgiving episodes. And they talk about how they had, for the last three or four years, they have had amazing like headline level guests on uh, like Weird Al Yankovic and all sorts of people who are really popular people. And they would do something fun with them, whatever. And then they pulled up this little chart and said, and you know, we just want you to know, here's what our viewership does on Thanksgiving. And it's this chart that shows like a line that's straight across Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then on Thursday, it tanks way down to zero. And then it comes back up on Friday. And their point was, we're putting all this work into the this awesome episode on Thursday. And none of you watch it. <laughs> and then they tongue-in-cheek but actually said so we're not doing anything cool this year we're just gonna sit here and chat because you're not gonna watch it anyway and they went on for 20 minutes to talk about how they were gonna cook their turkey and why one of them thinks the other one doesn't cook the ham right and uh, you know it was just two guys jabbering because they couldn't be bothered doing an awesome episode because around the holidays they have thrown up their hands and said, we give up. You are not going to watch this. (laughs) And I figure if Rhett and Link feel that way on Thanksgiving, I'm okay to feel like the holidays has an impact on viewership. Yeah. It does make me feel a lot better. We often take a look at our podcast listening numbers and like we have no idea why certain episodes get way more listens than others. And it's all very baffling. So the fact that somebody else is having dips in their listenership just makes me feel better. Very encouraging, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I. that's exactly how I feel. You text me our listenership numbers every day. And about three quarters of the time I text back, huh, that's interesting. I have no idea what to do with that. (laughs) Right. I don't either. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. But I will say this. There are a few listeners out there that are diehard listeners. We know that you listen every single week. And some of you reach out to us pretty regularly. And I've got a friend, Pat, who will often send me a text after our episode comes out. And sometimes it's engaging the topic or sometimes it's giving me another podcast to listen to and say, hey, this sounds relevant. Tell me what you think. But this one just took the cake for me. He went back to our ordinary episode uh, the where we talked about Tish Harrison Warren's book on Liturgy of the Ordinary. And mm-hmm. he said, so we need to find Jesus in the ordinary things like brushing our teeth? Well... I guess he was the way, the tooth, and the life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is either really 
horrible or really funny or I, maybe both. It's very much both. And so I know we got to transition into, you know, some other episode segments, but I, I had to make sure that you heard that amazing, amazing comment. Oh my goodness. Well, Pat, feel free to text me that stuff as well. My number is 555-3931. And I will give a gold star to anybody who actually knows what that number is. But we're going to transition into another part of the episode. Well, and I would say, honestly, it's kind of the same part we've been having all along. And that is listener engagement. So we want to thank you all for listening. Thank you especially for commenting or having conversations with us. We enjoy having more seats around this table and engaging with you on all of these topics. So uh, continue to find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for On the Phone with Josh. And I also want to point out, we reference a lot of books and other podcasts and various other things You can always check the show notes in every episode's show notes. You will find links to the books that we reference, a listing of the podcasts and other resources that we talk about. So if you're ever curious and want to dig into any of those, you can find it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to share those resources with you and really love to hear from you in any way, shape or form. So keep the comments coming. Yes, please. You know, transitioning off of the past into the present here, I'm just curious what you've been thinking about this week. What's going on in your brain lately? (laughs) That's a dangerous question, but (laughs) probably. uh, So my friend and I were working in Matthew 13 this week, and we were translating the parable of the sower, and it struck me that at one part, the seed fell along the path where the soil wasn't deep, where there wasn't enough dirt. And mm. it sprang up quickly and then it withered away, or the birds came up and ate it. But it was the idea that there wasn't enough dirt. And I thought to myself, well, dirt doesn't spring up overnight. Like, if that's my soil, what do I got to do? If that's my starting point. And Dirt takes a while to grow. I mean, living things have to come from it, wither, die, and decompose, and create new soil. And the process has to happen multiple times over before any sort of depth and richness is present. Which doesn't mean we have to get our act together before we can receive the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But I am Mm. saying there is something to be said for cultivating, literally, depth. Depth of soil Mm. where that seed can really go down deep. Roots can dig down deep because you have built up a lot of soil and dirt. Because over time, you have allowed your life to go through its natural phases and you've mixed all of that together into a rich soil where the gospel can take root. And Mm. that was a fun addition to that word picture for me. That's really good. Man, that's powerful. Thanks. What about you? 
Well, we have talked about Kurt Thompson on the podcast a couple of times, and I was listening to one of his books, and I don't think I've we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but he talks about healthy attachment in terms of four different words, being seen, soothed, safe, and secure. Mm. And I loved this so much. He also mentioned it in a podcast episode that I was listening to at the same time. And I, I actually texted the podcast episode over to you because I just think that those four words put together capture exactly what relationships are all about for me. What we all need out of a relationship is to be seen or known for a relationship to be a place where when things are not okay, I can come back to and be cared for, to be soothed. I love the fact that he talks about that being, that's not just a childhood need. That's not just a broken people need. We all need that to some extent. And then to feel safe no matter what. And then he differentiates safe and secure in this really cool way. If you're seen, soothed, and safe, you will feel able to venture out into a potentially complicated and dangerous world to take risks. And that's what he means by secure. If you're seen, soothed, and safe, then you are secure enough in yourself to take risks in the rest of the world. And I think that is just such a powerful model of relating. I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, I appreciated it as well. I took a listen to that episode when you sent it over to me. And man, those four S's really, really capture things well. Yeah, absolutely. Man, well, what a good conversation. I can't believe it has been six months of doing this. This is episode number... 30. 30, is that right? Yeah. Wow. That is a lot of time being on the phone with Josh. (laughs) And we are only getting started. So before we go, I would love to get in the which Josh question. And... The Witch Josh question this week is very apropos because we've talked a lot about a Josh and the other's wife. So, which Josh hates the game Racco because the other Josh's wife always wins? (laughs) Yes. And that is me. Well, I know it's my wife, so therefore it is by default you. (laughs) Yes. So my wife always wins. Kristen may as well have just named the game Kristen Wins because I don't know how she wins that game every single time. But when we both lived in Missouri, or when we all four lived in Missouri, we would have some game nights. And inevitably, she would want to play that game. And I grew to hate it because there just wasn't a chance to win. So I still won't play Racco. It's been 20 years. Yep, won't touch it. So what I'm hearing you say is that my wife can have an impact that is ongoing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And not always for the good. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Well, with that in mind, are we on for next week? We sure are. Can't wait. Sounds good.
All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye.